Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another edition of our fairly new podcast. I'm Richie Hansing, coach of the Roots Running Project, and we had intended on getting this podcast out a little bit sooner, but our fall has been pretty busy since the recording of our last podcast with a few new athletes joining, hosting a couple of recruits, and the start of fall racing, so we were a little delayed on our timeline. But the focus of this episode will be on recapping a few of the races that we've had so far this fall. We just came off of a pretty big weekend for our group where Aliyah finished 10th at the Chicago Marathon, Noah finished 2nd at the U.S. 10 Mile Championships, Mara finished 5th at that same U.S. 10 Mile Championships, and Becky was 4th at the U.S. 10K Championships. So this will be a little bit longer of a podcast as they all recap how their races went, how they felt their buildups were, and what they look forward to coming up. So hope you enjoy. Stay tuned. We hope to get a few podcasts out in the very near future, but hope you like this one. All right. Thanks. How now, brown cow? All right. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> but when you're having a good day and your body's feeling good, like your head can be that extra, like it factor to like make sure you run to the best of your ability. We're here with Noah Drotti. We're now sitting two weeks, three weeks after the 10 mile champs. So you've had a couple weeks now to kind of process, digest, reflect, reminisce. What are your initial thoughts with with the day? Obviously, it was a pretty successful day. Devastated about second place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Noah, Noah kicked. Devastated. Noah was second place at the U.S. 10 Mile Champs. Led quite a bit of the second half of that race. And to give you guys at home uh, a little bit of context of how the race went, you guys were around 450 average for the first five miles. There was a pack of about 30 of you guys. Mm-hmm. And then soon after the halfway point, you decided to dictate a good part of the front pack. And you guys averaged 438 over the final five. Mm-hmm. So kind of take us through how the race went out, what your thoughts were that first half, and then what made you make that decision to, to jump in front. Yeah, uh, the race went out like I think a lot of these road races go out with just a really big pack up front. So like maybe 30, like pretty much the entire elite field will go with whatever the early pace is. And um, we were running like 450 lows for the most part, it seemed like, even on downhill miles. So the pace wasn't crazy. Like no one was really going to fall off of that in the first few miles. So just tried to like stay relaxed and, you know, operate within the pack and just kind of find the find the flow of it and just you know, work your way later into the race. So um, not a whole lot going on in my head there, just trying to stay out of trouble. Um, yeah, because there was a lot of guys. And fortunately yeah. with road racing, you guys have the whole road to operate with, different than the track. But still, that's quite a bit to be able to sift through congestion, also see what's happening up front. Yeah, a lot of guys and a lot of just like random little surges. Um, <clears throat> so I try to just kind of keep myself towards the front, maybe like second row and like to the outside of that row, just so I didn't have guys on, on every side and I wasn't clipping heels and stuff. So I just tried to stay relaxed there. And so I wouldn't say I felt like amazing through the first five miles, but like I felt good enough that I felt like I could have kept going. And it was cold for you guys. Yeah, it was cold. It was probably the first time I'd ever like wished I was wearing arm warmers and my face was kind of like you know, freezing up, so I was just stuck in this contorted, like, pain face. Yeah, you don't have a lot of skin yeah. to insulate. Yeah, exactly, so, but it was good. I think w- once we came through five miles, like, the the lead guys, like, really started noticing that it was slow, um, and I think some of the more experienced road racers, like, start to recognize that, okay, like, a move is going to happen soon, because it's ridiculous to have 30 people in this pack when, you know, there's maybe 15 guys who can really be top 10 um, and so I'd say the pace has kind of gradually started inching up a little bit. There wasn't a big move because you're kind of heading uphill at that point, and it didn't seem like anyone really wanted to to make a break for it. And so I still felt pretty comfortable going up the hill. It was really slight, and I didn't feel like it really changed much. And but you were worried about those hills coming in, right? Yeah, you, you hadn't run over the course. I hadn't. I really had no idea what the course looked like, but I was running, and I was kind of talking to 
a couple of the guys and I just, I just asked John Gray, like, you know, is, are there some big ones coming up? Cause I just didn't really know. And he said, no, it, it's kind of all graduate like this. And so, I was and like, that was during the race. That was during the race. Yeah. And so I was like, well, you know, I kind of feel, I feel good enough to, to make a push for it. And so I just kind of surged a little bit and I don't really remember a lot of like what happened after that. You just kind of, you kind of black out for a little bit and then you like come to and you realize that what was a pack of 40 guys is now a pack of eight guys, you know, and you're like, okay, solid. I'm going to be top 10. And then you go another mile or two and guys are falling off. And eventually, uh, I mean, this is the first time in my like racing career that I've really experienced this necessarily, but it, like three guys like emerged as three guys who were probably going to fight it out for the win. Cause once you drop off a pack in a road race, I feel like you're probably not coming back. And that's where that gift came from. Yeah, you're looking around to see how many guys are still left. Yeah, they actually caught it at kind of a cool moment because it's like left shoulder Tim Ritchie, right shoulder Sam Chalanga, and and that's it. And I yeah. didn't hear any other footsteps, and so it's like, you know, shit, I'm going to be top three, you know. And at that point, you just have to like take a pause and like recognize that you're in a position, like a very fortunate position that you've never been in before. Like you're having a pretty good day. And it's like you really want to maximize that good day. Because I've had races where I was having a bad day and there was just like absolutely nothing that my head could do to change the way my body was feeling. But when you're having a good day and your body's feeling good, like your head can be that extra like it factor to like make sure you run to the best of your ability. Were you aware of who the two guys were to your right and left at the time? or And did that affect the way that you're racing, the way you approach those last couple miles? Yeah, I knew I knew who they were. I mean, Sam Chalanga, obviously, like yeah, he, I've seen all those races. Yeah. I saw him run twenty seven oh eight, and Tim Ritchie. I remember watching. I forget what road race it was, but just recently, Ty and I were watching it, and it was him running downhill with like Stephen Sambu and Ben True, and I and he was just. I mean, I think he faded at the end of that race, but he was like challenging him. So I remember looking at that and being like, "If I could run like that guy someday." That's awesome. Um, so you knew they were aggressive, mm -hmm. the the way that they like to approach those latter stages. Yeah. But I, I got to mile seven, and I just my, the thought in my head was, like, I can run really hard for three miles. Like, I felt like I had that in my tank still, like I could run, a, like, a hard three miles pushing the whole way. And so that's just what I try to do. Like, I just tried to make sure the pace was, like, constantly aggressive. And I don't have, like, individual mile splits, so I don't know if I was getting faster or what exactly was happening. But I was just, like, I can... I can keep a hammer down that long. Um, and if they can hang, great. And if they can't, then, you know, maybe, maybe I'll win. <laughs> yeah, it's constant surging, those latter stages. Like you said, yeah. you, would, you there was like five guys you threw in a surge. You look back again, there's three guys you threw in another surge. You look back again, it's just you and Sammy at one point. And so it's like you're constantly surging, just trying to test of who's going to be able to withstand that. Yeah, and then but eventually you're just like, all right, no more surging. Like I'm just going to run like hell to yep. the finish line and see. It's a sprint for a mile. <laughs> yeah, and see who can who can hang with me. And obviously Sam did, and then he had another another gear to flip at the end when he kind of sprinted away a little bit. But I think I gave myself the best. I think that was like the best strategy I could have used was just like a long hard hard push i'm not sure i would have out sprinted him no matter what i i think you told me something really cool that towards i think it was a mile or two miles to go you could hear sam's footsteps behind you but you would look to your left and look to your right and you couldn't see him mm -hmm. because he was so close to you right on your heels what is that thought going through your head when you're you're trying to surge pulling away you can still hear those footsteps but you can't see that person it's kind of an eerie feeling yeah, it was a little bit, maybe like a, just a little bit annoying when someone's doing that. And one thing that I wish if I could go back into those last couple of miles, like I would have swerved around the road a little bit and just, just make, try to shake him up. Just make, make him, if he was going to employ that tactic, like make him like really do it and follow me around the road a little bit. Cause we had a big enough gap that I could have done that. And maybe even like slowed the pace down and played with the pace a little bit because mm -hmm. he seemed pretty content to do anything that I was going to do. Mm -hmm. So you know maybe that would have shaken maybe that would have shaken him a little bit. Maybe it wouldn't have. But I think you know if I were in that situation again as a more experienced runner, like there were a couple other tools that maybe I could have used in that last mile and a half to avoid him just popping out and out kicking me in the last four hundred. Well, I think some. I mean, you just said if you were a more experienced runner, I think. The experience of your knowledge of the sport is there because you're expressing things that in hindsight you you know you should have done or you know that you could utilize that next time. That's that's not for lack of experience. That's just lack of experience in that situation. Yeah. You, know, you know what tactic needs to be employed with people that are doing that. 
Yeah, I think at the moment you're just afraid to let a really good moment slip away. And so you just like, your first instinct is just to run really hard until the end um, without any of those kind of competitive frills that you can do if you're a little more relaxed. I think one of the cool things too was that you weren't sitting back to just try to hang on for as long as you can. You find yourself in a pack of eight guys. You're not content to just be one of those top eight and hope other guys die off. You were the one up front dictating that pace. That's a unique shift in mindset when it comes to trying to be competitive in some of those championships because it is different when you're just latching on and trying to hang on for dear life versus trying to actually go out and win and not knowing if you're going to be able to sustain it or if someone's going to come back on you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that speaks to kind of the fitness I'm in right now because I, I like pushing stuff from the front. Like, I don't mind running from the front. Like, I do a lot of workouts where I'm the one, like, dictating pace and stuff. So it just so happens that my, like, ability to dictate pace and my fitness now, like, put me towards the front of, put these towards the front of these races where maybe I would have, like, liked to dictate pace in other races, but my fitness meant that maybe I was fighting for, you know, 5 to 10th place and never really getting to see the front. Whereas now it's like I can be in the front and push the pace. Yeah, and one of the questions, I was at the Chicago Marathon, so it's kind of a cool experience for me because I'm running around the course and I'm trying to get updates on your guys' race watching it live. And at one point, you're in a pack of 30. I shut down the feed to run to another spot on the course. and I pull up the feed and you're the one pushing the pace towards the end. And who I was running with at the time asked me, like, what – what were your workouts coming in or what was your volume? And you really only had been doing six weeks of hard workouts. You took a little bit of break after trials, kind of talk about what that adjustment was after that 10 K. Yeah. Um, I definitely took a little bit of a longer break than maybe we, you know, on paper would have liked to have, you know, ideally have, but I was just kind of ready to not be a runner for, <laughs> for, for a few weeks and I was still running, but just, you know, not just enjoying it i was just jogging around so i think the experience of the trial has kind of lasted a long time for me with what with the article and everything like it was just maybe more drawn out than if i just would have walked away from eugene that day and put the whole experience behind me um so yeah yeah but the thing is like we got in really good shape really fast um so it's nice to know that I can do that because that's like almost a weapon we have in our back pocket now. It's like we know we can get ready for a race in two months. Well, I think that just shows the consistency that you've had over the past year. There's been very yeah. little or knock on the table that we're talking on. Very few blips in the training cycle. You've been able to string together good, solid blocks. And so even though you had some down period, like you said, you were easy running. Um, it didn't take you long to kind of get the wheels turning back over again, which that time trial in September kind of showed. You were doing very, very little speed work and ran, what, 8.44 up at altitude, which is an, you came through 3K at 8.11, translates to a 7.48 3K at sea level based on our elevation up here. That's really fast. So that obviously had to have been a good confidence booster going into the 10 mile too. Maybe not your the, the long-standing training block that you've had, but speed was there even though you hadn't been doing much speed work. Mm-hmm. And you had been showing some decent decent fitness in those longer sustained efforts. Yeah, especially when you get to the last couple miles of a long race and you know you've run 844 for two miles and you still feel pretty good. It's like, well, I could probably run, you know, even, even if I run nine flat, like, or, you know, even if I were to run nine flat, like, that's a pretty good last couple miles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a confidence booster, and the two-mile was nice. It's just, like, an in-between effort between the 10K and the 10-mile just, you know, to get something, like, build it up as almost a race and just feel like, yeah, you kind of went to the well once, you know, because sometimes it's scary to do that for the first time in a race. And since then, you've gotten some decent media exposure as well. You had a Deadspin article and a Runner's World article that came out, signed with an agent. You've got Big Sur Half Marathon coming up in a couple weeks. Pretty decent field that's going to be assembled there, too. Some of the same guys that you raced at the 10-mile champs. Battle of the Mustaches with Jared Ward. <laughs> what are you looking forward when you go into that race? Yeah, I'm just looking forward to to competing with those guys again and, like, you know, being in a pack now with, like, maybe a new sense of newfound sense of confidence. Um, not that I wasn't confident at the 10-mile, but now it's like, okay, well, I've done it before, so that's cool. Like, I actually like, probably need to be up here. And, um, and I should be up here for a long time unless something happens. 
Well, um, you, you mentioned in one of the articles, too, just validating that Olympic trials was more of a fluke than, yeah. it is, than Portland. Which I kind of knew all along, but it's also nice to put that on paper so other people can see it, you know. So, yeah, you just want to – sometimes you just – you have a bad race and you immediately think that you've lost it. And, you know, yeah. it's like your best days are, are behind you or whatever. So it's nice to come back out and have a – put up a good result. What do you think – I know I, I asked Mara this question relative to her 10-mile champs. You put yourself in a good position to try to go for the win. When racing someone like Sammy Chalanga again in the future – what do you think the difference will be finishing second versus finishing first? Obviously, closing speed. But you you made the comment you you wished you would have made one last surge to try to go with him when you surged by you. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I knew who was behind me. I knew how fast he'd run, and so when eventually when he when I wasn't shaking him at all, there was just kind of this thought in my head like when is Sam going to go around me? You know, it's like, I know at this point, I know exactly what he's doing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've been kind of powerless to powerless to shift that. And so right as we like, we're kind of cresting a hill and then you kind of descend to the finish. It's like 400 or something. He just popped to the other side of the road and kind of looked over at me a little bit. And I was just like, in my, like my first thought was like, see a Sam, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so maybe if, maybe if I could reprogram myself. So my first thought was like, okay, let's go Sam. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, maybe I just didn't have it. It's hard to put yourself back in that, that pain state and know exactly how hard you were hurting. But, you know, I like to think on a, on an amazing day that I could have sprinted with him for a little bit. Well, and coming within three seconds of a national championship outside of trials, it's only your second road championship. I think it's it's it says something obviously to where your fitness is being able to run what you did, but it's also where you've come mentally to be able to run with those guys, considering how trials went to now. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, spring's going to be a big season for you as well, trying to lower those marks even more. In order to do that, you're going to have to race some pretty good competition. Yeah, so, good good uh, audition. Yeah, it's just more fun to race up in the front of the pack, and so if you're also in a position where your fitness like allows you to do that, like that's kind of the perfect scenario. And I think that's kind of where we're getting where like my peak fitness means that I can be in the front of just about any pack and who knows how the race shakes out, but it's like, I should at least be in contention, you know? Yeah. And I also think, um, one of the things is we talk about, be proud of the effort at the end of the day, regardless of what that finish and that time says on paper, if the effort's there, that's all you can ask of yourself. You know, when you're going to the front, you're kind of dictating that, the effort's going to be there because mm-hmm. you don't want to run stupid. You'd rather run the way that you did in the second half of the field versus the first half, but not sitting back and kind of waiting for things to happen, being the one to kind of make those moves. I mean, finishing second, finishing first, finishing third, effort was there on the day. Yeah. If you can walk, like, I think if you're pushing the pace in the race, like in the later stages, like you can probably walk away without any regrets. Um, Cause that means like you played your hand um, to some extent, even if it wasn't like maybe the smartest tactically thing, like I think that's just like an honorable way to run is if you go up and and push the pace at some point and hopefully you luck out and that means winning, but sometimes it's not going to. But Which Chalanga and Richie both gave you credit after the race for being willing to, to put yourself in that position, especially when on paper, like you and I were talking the night before, there's 15 guys that could have been in that in that position to be in the top three. Um, being one of the guys willing to kind of dictate that was, was an important thing to see. And I think one of the things that we talked about the night before is, yeah, there's 15 guys that can be there, but you can be one of those guys as well. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we hope not just you, but the rest of the team kind of approaches their, their races moving forward. Cause as we keep saying, you're only as good as your last performance. So until you continuously back it up and show that consistency, you're always going to have wonders. You're done. Whether you're done. <laughs> you're done. Until right now you're back. <laughs> I'm back, baby. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Noah. Good luck at Big Sur. And keep keep an eye on results for our team to come. Okay. I'm here with Mara Olson. We are actually sitting here the night before you're about to leave to a 10K out in Orlando. And it's now about 10 days after your 10-mile championships which to this date is the longest race of your post-collegiate running career, but longest race of your career in general. I know you had approached me earlier when we were discussing potential fall racing plans about doing a half marathon this fall. 10 miles seemed like a logical progression up to that. 
and you performed really well, obviously. You finished fifth at the 10-mile championships uh, out in Minneapolis, which was a, a little bit of a homecoming for you as well. Kind of take me through and take us through what that experience was like, racing the distance, the, the people that you were able to compete against, and finishing your highest championship finish to date. Yeah, I think, honestly, I had a little bit of a bout of insanity when I asked you earlier if I could do a half marathon. Uh, but honestly, I loved the 10-mile distance. Yes, it was the furthest I've run. The last race before that was a 12K. That was the furthest race I'd done before that, so about seven and a half miles. And that was a year ago. That was yep, Alexandria. in Alexandria at the 12K Championships. So a year after that, up in the distance a bit, and I found it really really be an incredible race. Part of that was I got to be home. I, you know, my family was on the course at two different points. At one point when my friends, Robbie was there and I felt like I could just kind of get into a rhythm. unlike any other race I'd been in. I always consider myself a bit of a speed girl, but I think I found, found a new calling. Well, you've been handling the, the distance based workouts pretty well over the past couple of weeks. And so prior to the race had started talking about maybe adjusting your goal for the half marathon. What you ended up showing at the 10 mile champs will adjust that goal even more because you're able to average 526, which is really good considering the course. It's not perfectly flat. It kind of undulates a little bit and the conditions were cold, right? Like, like you had mentioned, you had a tough time kind of warming up those first couple miles. Yeah. I'm horrible in the cold. I was so nervous beforehand because I have a history of just kind of puttering out when it's chilly. But that's also genetics, right? Like yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah. Raynaud syndrome, and my dad had the same kind of condition. So I was extremely nervous going in, but, you know, I, I lathered myself in oil on the starting line. <laughs> I had my, my Adidas arm warmers and headband on, and it, it got me through. I couldn't feel my arms, you know, elbow down from about mile three in. And more painful than the entirety of the race was the thawing out process afterwards. Uh, but still managed to, yeah, get, get my highest placement in a championship. And I was really, really excited about it. Well, and the way you ran it, too, was pretty incredible. I mean, you, you negative split your first five mile to your second five mile. You were in 10th place at the five mile point. You obviously you closed well. You finished in fifth. And you would, you beat some pretty quality girls. That Girls like Maddie Van Beek, who's shown she's she's pretty tough on the roads established runners like Brian Nelson, uh, a Lindsay Scherf. Like there were some good girls in that race that, that you were able to, to close on over that last five miles that they traditionally closed pretty well. Um, what was your thought at the five mile point when you kind of saw where your placement was and what you knew you had to do over that last five? Yeah. You know, honestly, the race could not have played out better. Uh, we came in with a good plan, and I feel like this is one of the first races I've actually executed a plan on. Uh, so I was pretty pretty well controlled through five miles and just kind of kept clipping away. Played out perfectly in that I was able to run with Rianne Nelson for a few miles. So I had company there, and then after that I was able to, you know, gradually get contact and pick off people one by one. Could you see all the women ahead of you as you were rolling? Yep. Up? So it, it pretty much played out that, you know, the last three miles I caught three people. Uh, so it was a nice gradual way to, to go through the race and have someone to keep you engaged and someone to consistently reach for and then get momentum as you pass. So it, it could not have played out any better. Well, and talk about that for a little bit. You said you, you executed the plan pretty well. Like you and I have both talked about the importance in these longer distances of kind of staying true to pace and kind of running your own to, to what your own fitness level is. How is that in this race? Cause I know at Alexander, you kind of ran by feel a year ago and you felt strong, but like the time on paper was not what we, we were expecting it to be at the end. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, did you run with your watch? Did you look yeah, at your was, split each mile? This was the first race I ran with a watch. And I, similar to my tempo runs or long runs, I didn't really look at it until it would beep on the auto lap for every mile. And then, even then, I would look at it, but not judge it. I, especially with the cold weather, just really kind of went on how I felt. You know, always pushing on the edge, but I didn't strain at all until that last mile. And I think that really, really helps, especially in negative splitting, where you don't go over that edge because it can come and bite you later. 
Well, and you close that race, obviously the way that the course goes, you can close really hard the last two miles, but you do have to be in contact because it's downhill. Right. And so it becomes even harder to try to close. Honestly, the downhill mile at the end, I thought was the hardest one because my legs were numb. You're tired. And it's not just downhill. It's screaming downhill. (laughs) So your legs are churning over. You can't feel them. I was sincerely afraid I was going to fall on my face. And that would have been an epic end to the end to the day. But I managed to keep him under me and just finish through the line. When you crossed the line, did you know you were fifth? It was funny. I, I was kind of thinking to myself, thank goodness I'm getting top 10. That's my goal for the day. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe maybe I was fourth. And then I hear the announcer say Sarah Hall was fourth. I was like, okay, well, maybe I was fifth then. Yeah. But it, it is that interesting, you know, 10-minute window where you don't know what you achieved. Um, I felt pretty good about it, but it, it's nice to get validation with a, a high placement like that, too. Yeah, and especially in, in, like we said, it's your highest placement in the U.S. Championship, but doing it in your, your backyard. Oh, my gosh, up, so much fun. Special. And to have a deep field like that, too, yep. and to actually know the people you're racing against. And it, it really is incredible. I uh, never would have expected to be in that kind of position. Well, and all those women, um, both that finished in front of you and behind you, they're, they're pretty accomplished at those longer distances, with the exception of maybe Jordan Hesse, who this, by all accounts, was her longest race to date. But she ha- obviously has a very accomplished resume on her sheet. So for you to be able to finish as high as you did against those women that have raced longer distances, some of them up to the marathon, Pretty good accomplishment for the day. And I think it should be a good confidence builder going into Big Sur and the half as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, to be two places behind an Olympic gold medalist, even if it's not her event. But still, that's definitely a confidence boost. Yeah, and uh, the Olympic gold medalist Mara's referring to is Gwen Jorgensen, who is making her marathon debut at New York City in a couple weeks and obviously showed she was in good form at the 10-mile champs. Were you nervous based on the distance going into the race, just not knowing what to expect? There's something about racing uh, an entirely novel distance that's that isn't nerve-wracking. It's almost a relief. You know, there's no pressure. There's no gauge to go off of. I was pretty confident in all the training I'd been doing, and I've been finding that a lot of the longer-distance training is more mental discipline mm-hmm. than physical. Obviously, a lot of that is a physical component, but... You know, I was I was mostly excited. I kind of had this feeling it was going to go well. I didn't know how well, but I was very confident that I could handle 10 miles just fine. Does it make you more excited for Big Sur? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. If, you know, it would it'd be hard to get excited for an even longer race if the 10 mile hadn't gone well. Right. Um, but I definitely have some confidence going into to Big Sur and I I just love doing new events yeah. and I feel like a lot of my professional career so far has been trying out new distances. So Mm -hmm. I figure might as well continue that trend. Well, and it was something that even seeing how you did with the 10 mile, it kind of got our wheels turning a little bit about like, maybe you would be pretty good at a marathon distance down the road and when potentially that might be. And we'll obviously get a good gauge on how that half marathon (laughs) goes in a couple weeks, but yeah, you, you've planted that seed. You might have to nurture it a little bit before <laughs> yeah. it grows. Maybe though. a couple more halves just to yeah. get some more confidence down. Yeah, but, we'll see. Well, and this is this is still. I mean, you you upped your mileage a little bit this fall. It's still relatively new territory for that higher volume as well. Which, but I'm still not even over 80 miles, which is yeah, which is for, well, especially for a marathon. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, but it, it gives us some good stuff to work with where if you're able to handle a good 10 mile half marathon distance still being relatively lower volume as a distance runner um it kind of gets some excitement building of well if we can build you up with some higher volume and eventually get you to that marathon distance what you potentially might be able to accomplish because like your mechanics are obviously very efficient and you've taken to those longer workouts surprisingly well. And why I say surprisingly is because when you first moved out here, the the longer thresholds, the longer long runs, those were the things you struggled with. Whereas oh, yeah, the intervals, the speed were good. And like but, I said, so much of that is mental too. Yep. You just decide, okay, I'm going to do this. Well, and it's not being afraid to every once in a while, like look down at the watch and just kind of gauge where you're at. And yeah. Yeah. You've done pretty well at it. So it'll be exciting to see what you could do at the half. But the way you handled the 10 mile distance out in Minneapolis was not not only 
um, amazing based on obviously the training that you had done and it being your first one to date, but not being afraid of the competition and still being able to race a smart race and run your own race in order to place as well as you did. What do you think now will make the difference? Like, obviously it's a new distance. So you're going out a little bit more conservative comparative to like how that lead pack did. Um, what do you think will be the difference now to kind of transition up to that lead pack? I think a lot of it is just building the confidence and knowing that I can go out with them and hang. So, you know, for, especially for a first 10 mile race, that would have been a pretty bold move. Yeah. I know Potentially I suicidal. So I, I think just continuing to get some really good workouts and some good races under my belt and feel like even if I do fall off that lead pack to know that I will be okay and not blow up. Well, and I think Big Sur will be a good opportunity for that, too. We we have yet to see what the full field will look like. But it's a field that we think you can be really competitive in, obviously. And um, your teammate Becky will be in there as well. So you'll have someone that you can work with in there that, that has shown the ability to run a fast, fast half marathon in the past. So I think that will be an exciting next step in those longer distance races is not only getting accustomed to the distance, but also being pretty competitive once you're in those distances. Congratulations again, because I was I was pretty excited to see how our entire team did over this past week. Oh, it was a great weekend. It was a good weekend. We had three top tens at a U.S. championship, and Aaliyah was 10th at the Chicago Marathon. But for you in particular, debuting at a distance you're just unfamiliar with, Noah had done the half marathon distance. Becky had done the half and the full. Aaliyah had done the full. And we knew your fitness was there, but it's still an unknown because it's a distance you're not used to. And obviously racing good competition at the same time, but to finish your highest finish in a really fast time and what that potentially could translate to in a fast course for a half was pretty exciting to see. Yeah. I've joined the long distance club. Yeah. You're, you're moving up. <laughs> let, let, we'll see obviously once we get towards track, cause we still have sure. PRs. We want to hit at other distances. 10k this weekend is going to feel like nothing. I know it'll, it'll feel fast, but, um, yeah, and then you'll get back on the track this spring. What do you let, let's touch on that real quick before I let you go? What are you looking forward to this spring? I really just want to set some PRs. I I think I have potential there to to crush my my former time. So if I can get in the right races, I think I can really drop those, which is what I definitely want to do. And you've shown versatility across all the distance from fifteen hundred, three k, steeple, five k, ten. Is there one distance in particular you're looking at and you're like, I want that PR to go down number one? Oh, my 5K is from junior year of college and it needs to be broken. Um, it should have been broken last spring. Unfortunately, I had a little bout with mono and yep. some tough races. So I focused more on steeple last year, which I would like to do again um, if my knees permit. Oh <laughs> they, they, they are still hating me from springtime. <laughs> But yeah, 5K is what I'm most excited for, I think, because I have a lot of a lot of potential there to, to hit a new time. Yeah, and your 5K, I mean, you were fit to hit, be able to hit a PR last last spring. Like you said, you, you got about with mono, and then the unfortunate nature of sometimes with what happens in meets, you get placed in a not-so-great heat, and the weather doesn't hold out, so you got stuck in a heat with not the front pack to kind of run with and super strong headwinds. So it just didn't play out the way that we anticipated, but um, hopefully this spring we'll have some good opportunities to try to set those. Yeah. And I think that needed to happen last spring. You know, it needed to, I needed to learn that not, not every race is going to be set up for you. Like it is in college. You got to fight a little bit more once you're out of school. Yeah. And ultimately compete, which you showed you were able to do in both of those events, even mm-hmm. though, in one, your body wasn't holding out, and the other, the weather wasn't holding yeah, out. Exactly. So you still came mentally prepared to go and compete with what you had for the day. So we look forward to seeing what you have at Big Sur in the coming weeks. Thanks. Go Ritz. I'm here with Aaliyah Gray. We're now a couple weeks after the Chicago Marathon. You've had a little time now to process kind of how the day went. You ended up finishing 10th place on the day in your second world marathon major, your first one being New York in 2014 and where you finished 16th place. Now, two years later, you're finishing in 10th place and a PR on the day. Uh, you finished about a minute, 50 seconds faster than your PR at the trials running 234.00. Wanted that one more second just to sneak under 234. Kind of... Describe your thoughts after the race with how you thought it went. We'll obviously go through the race itself and kind of how the buildup was before. But now that you've had a chance to process it, how do you feel the race was as a whole? 
I mean, I think I, I finished and immediately I, I want to do it again. <laughs> it's one of those races that I know that I'll, I know that I'll return to. It was really, really so well run. They did an incredible job in Chicago and, you know, I, I was even really impressed by just the city as a whole, just really excited to be in a place like Chicago. The skyline was beautiful. Um, you know, and even you can tell the whole city really gets behind the event. So those major marathon race weekends are always something special. So I was just kind of trying to soak a lot of that in, um, race day, race day was, was solid. You know, I would have liked a faster time and I think you'll be hard pressed to find a runner who doesn't finish a race (laughs) and says that you, you, I know I have to savor the PRs when they come and I still feel like I'm a pretty raw marathoner. And so it's another one under my belt and, you know, another marathon wiser. And this marathon, you kind of decided on a little bit late. Um, you decided on it about 10 weeks before the race. So you had a pretty abbreviated buildup considering the trials buildup, although dealing with the injury was still about a six month progression up to that day. How do you feel other than it being a much condenser timeline, the buildup went as a whole? I think the buildup went, went pretty well. Probably the hardest thing was knowing that I, with it being a condensed timeline, we weren't going to hit like peak fitness, you know, three, four weeks out, I'd still be kind of working and we definitely, we tapered and I was fresh for the event, but. And you only hit about two or three weeks over 90 miles. Yeah. Yeah. My mileage was still pretty moderate for, for elite marathoning, I would say. Um, yeah, I almost, I was sniffing a hundred miles, the triple digits, but didn't, didn't quite get there this time. Um, I, like I was saying though, I think, I think I just was trying to be patient with myself or the workouts were coming along, were coming along fine. And I was getting in a lot of really solid hard work. Um, but you just don't have as long to like, as long to hit that peak fitness and to ride the high, you know, that sometimes you get after, after really good workouts. And one of the things you expressed immediately after the race was you wish you had maybe two, four weeks more of solid training just to feel like you had a little bit more specific pace work on your belt. Given the timeline, though, of the turnaround after track trials, obviously you can't be too upset with a minute 50 second PR and finishing top 10 in a world marathon major, but you know that there's still room for improvement. Yeah, and I, I hope that I never finish. I hope that I never finish a race and don't think that there's room for improvement and that there are steps that we can take forward. After track trials, was Chicago something that you immediately thought was going to be your next race, or did it take you a couple weeks to kind of get to that point? Kind of describe. Obviously, I know, but people at home, <laughs> track didn't go the way that you wanted it to. You had that foot injury that creeped up about three three days before. So what sparked the turnaround? I, I think what really sparked the turnaround was after track, we had had, we had kind of put on some tunnel vision through track trials in Eugene. And that was, took us through mid July really. Um, but after that, you know, we went back to figuring out, okay, what's, what's the next step? Where am I going to race next? What are my fall plans? Even, you know, winter early next year. And we kept running through races that we could potentially put on the schedule. And, um, I was kind of wishy-washy about a lot of them, like knowing they were good races and knowing that I'd want to get there eventually. But when we kind of brought Chicago around to the table, that was the one that made me most excited. And, um, I was really, I was really, really encouraged and excited about my performance at the Olympic trials marathon this past February. Um, and I think I just, I was really excited to get that time down a little bit because I knew all of the external factors into that day in February with it being really hot with training through an injury. I I knew that I had a lot more in the tank. So the thought of doing a marathon sooner rather than later was alluring for, you know, the chance to go after another PR. And you put, you're now with Josh Cox as an agent. You put him to work pretty quickly. (laughs) I I did in one of our first conversations. (laughs) You said... I want to do Chicago yeah. will for you, sort of a business. And so, hey, will you be my agent and can you get me into Chicago? <laughs> yeah. he, what was his response? Uh, he kind of, I could tell he took a deep breath, but he was, he was awesome and a total rock star and um, just, you know, went, went to work and got in touch with the race organization and really helped make the whole process so smooth from, from front to finish. 
Now, race day looked like the weather was going to be pretty ideal for Chicago. Sometimes you can get really windy weather. Sometimes you can get pretty hot temperatures. We ended up waking up with some wind. How much did that, did you notice that during the race? Oh, man. I I was really excited about the temperature. It's been really hot in Chicago the last couple years, and so seeing temperatures in that ideal like 50s to 60s range was really exciting especially knowing that I had come to Chicago to run fast um I would say I didn't notice the wind quite as much for the first half but you know you're obviously much fresher than I I and ended you're up so in the city too so you have some blockage from the buildings right right which does make a difference um the during the second half I ended up running I ended up running a lot of this latter half of the marathon solo. And that was where I really started to feel the wind. And I just, I had a hard, I had a hard time with it. And that's definitely something that I want to work on in the future. Um, what's that running in the wind or latching on with people? Both, both, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you look back at a race and you look at a pack that's kind of in front of you and they feel a little bit out of reach, but then you're thinking back and wondering like, Oh man, maybe if I had surged up to them, how much easier would the effort have felt or more manageable maybe is the right word. How much more manageable would the effort have felt if I had put myself in a little bit more pain for a shorter stretch of time and then just tried to run with people and, um, kind of work with the people around me. Yeah. I was laughing at one point cause you passed me at about half marathon. There were two guys with you, but they were drafting off of you versus I'm, the other way around. I'm five, two. <laughs> I'm not even very tall. So how much of that though at that point is, you just kind of like putting yourself where you want to be versus like letting someone else do the work and kind of tucking in behind. Right. It's a, it's hard to balance because you, I know what I went, went into the race. I went into the race having a pace range to work within. Um, and so you don't want to run someone else's race. And that's, that's the issue is trying to find, trying to find the happy medium between, between being just really, really solid with your race plan, which I think is so important. And then, but then when conditions like wind roll around, um, kind of wondering if maybe, maybe you should have changed them a little bit. Yeah. We were saying, I mean, Sarah Crouch had her husband running with her for the majority of that race. And that's kind of the ideal scenario because it's someone that, you know, is working with you and helping to block some of the wind and also isn't competing against you at the same time. Would you want to have something like that in the future if you were back at a race like Chicago or say Berlin has a similar setup where the men and women start at the same time or try to talk to some of the females ahead of time about what their pace range is? The weird part about that is everyone's also trying to be competitive with one another. How do you feel like that best works in the future? Man, I have really mixed feelings about it. I'm There's a part of me that wants to be stubborn and you know, just really wants to be able to do it myself and to go out on the day. But you do roll the dice when you're out there for 26 miles. If you're going to be running most of it alone, that's a long way to go by yourself. Um, so I think that's where looking at having a pacer even to go part of the way is really alluring, even if they're not there for the really hard part of the race, um, just to let you turn your mind off for the first portion of it, you know? So you really don't have to use like any not any emotional energy, but you can really call on some of your reserve energy for when it gets really tough later, for when you're really running on tired legs. Or you just go out with the lead pack and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and cry. And or, cry. or I just get really fit and go out with the lead pack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, during the race, I, I was giving you feedback on how your teammates were doing at the U.S. 10 Mile Champs. Uh, Noah ended up finishing second on that day. Mar ended up finishing fifth. You were telling me you wanted some of that feedback while you were racing. Was that exciting for you when you heard that? How did you feel? I mean, I definitely like I I definitely surged in pace a little bit. I think, and by that point, I was starting to I was starting to feel a little bit tired. I think you told me um, you told me definitely after half marathon. I remember yeah, it was that right around the half marathon. It's it's really fun to hear and encouraging. And a marathon is obviously not easy, but the pace is slow enough to where I felt like I could absorb that kind of information. If it, And I don't think he would have told me if it was bad information. Um, so it's always exciting to kind of know that a lot is happening within the weekend, both within yourself and, you know, really around the country for our team. Yeah, it was a pretty big weekend as a whole with you finishing 10th and then three others finishing top, top five at US Champs. Yeah, it's huge. What is... 
with the buildup, one of the things that was unique for you was even though now we have a team format, your workout days were on off days comparative to the rest of the team. How do you feel like that that affected your your buildup, even though it was a condensed timeline, just not really having anyone to work out with during that time as well? It's funny because even with the team, I was still... I had still been doing a lot of my own workouts. You know, we had Mara out there, which was great. And sometimes we'd overlap, but a lot of times we'd be doing separate workouts. So at first when I saw the schedule, I was a little bummed that I was going to be swapping workout days with the team, but I kind I had pretty, I had a decent amount of self-confidence that I could get really good work in by myself. Um, and I, I did for the most part, but I think I definitely felt the absence of teammates on some days, even just you know, on a day maybe that didn't go quite as you wanted it to, like having the cool down with company is huge. Um, even just knowing that while you're out there hurting, someone else from the team is out there hurting at the exact same time. It, I can't describe it. I still tried to show up to a majority really of the team's workout days to stay connected, but it, it is just different being there as a spectator versus being there as an active participant. Now the the events of Chicago itself, this was your first time being part of a press conference at a big race like this. Was that exciting, draining, a little bit of both heading in? Uh, yeah, a little bit of both. I, It's you know really flattering if people want to talk to you, I, I think. And good conversation is always fun. Um, I definitely hadn't been a part of all of that before and the day really gets away from you between the press stuff and even, um, you know, at world marathon majors, they're really tight on their drug testing, which is awesome. But, you know, we, we got greeted by the USADA rep when we were just about to head out for a run and that took quite a bit. So and you're going straight to the press conference. Yep. And then you're going straight to the press conference and, um, but really like the race does so much to bring the athletes in that you want to do, you want to do anything to help them, uh, make the event what it needs to be. Before the race, Yourself, myself, and Coach Vigil were able to sit down and grab lunch. How is it different when he's at a race versus when he's not? You obviously, you look up to him and you value a lot of the the feedback that he gives you. He's just as much as a grandfather figure to you as he is a coach. How is that being able to just have some casual conversation before going into the, the competition? I think... You know, he prescribes really, really hard work, and I'm so proud to be a VHL athlete and to have a relationship with him that I feel like is really positive. And what's amazing to me is for the intensity of the work that he prescribes, his persona when you're talking to him um, is just so overall, like just so immensely positive. And I don't ever feel... I don't ever feel pressure from him when I'm around him, even though I know he has high expectations set for me. But for some reason, I'm just able to see it as like those expectations are coming from a place of just really believing in his athlete. And so it's always it's always a treat when he's out actually out at a race. And he's never disappointed in the work that you do if you're not able to hit a workout. If anything, he's he's overly positive of, well, you'll get it next time or just do your best or... Well, and he was even really happy with Chicago, and I remember immediately seeing him in the tent afterwards, and Diego, another V-Hill athlete, had finished eighth there as the first American. It was his first marathon that after he finished. Falling. After falling, like, just an incredible day for Diego, and he and V-Hill was so proud of Diego, and I came in, and he asked me what place I finished, and I said 10th, and he smiled and said, well, shit, it's a good day. <laughs> Um, so that's, even though that's like so basic, it's always like really fun to hear those little, you know, to have that immediate gratification and communication with the coach. Yeah. And it's funny because after the race, you were pleased with the placement. You were disappointed in the overall time, even though it was a PR. (laughs) And I think that's, it's an interesting perspective, right? Because like you're, you're racing some of the best women in the world and you're finishing top 10 in a in a big race, but the, the time still took a little bit more of the focal attention on your part after the race. What is that like toying with both sides of that emotion? Like you're finishing 10th, which you're pleased with, but you still want the faster moment. I think it might sound a little funny, but it took me, it took me a little bit of time to feel proud of the race. Um, 
And not that I was, you know, I didn't vomit. And I know that, I know that marathons can go south so quickly. And I'm so thankful that I haven't had a really terrible marathon experience yet because I can only imagine how draining it is. Um, I think that, you know, going into Chicago for me, like throughout all of the training, it was in my head, the time, the time, the time I'm going there to run fast. Chicago's, Chicago's, Chicago's flat. Um, this is the place to do it domestically. Um, and so I think I, in that process of focusing on just really wanting to get a PR so much, I almost forgot about, you know, the uncertainties that every single marathon brings. You know, you just really don't know what's going to happen over 26 miles, weather-wise, field-wise. Like, there's so many unpredictable factors. We do whatever we can to control to control our part. But I, like, I think I just forgot, let myself forget a little bit about um, just the respect of the distance. Yeah, yeah, it's 26 miles. Like, a lot happens over that. Yeah, it's different, right? Because you're you're racing some good women, and when you look on the day everyone's second half was slower than the first based on the conditions. And so the times just weren't there for what everyone thought they were going to be ahead of time, which I think on a bright side makes it exciting to, to hopefully return there in the future. Just as you had mentioned when you ran New York to be able to go back when you're ready to compete there. It's something that we, we lose a lot of the, the idea of just going out and racing when we're so focused on that time measurement that something like Chicago, even though it's a fast course, you still have to race your competition at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. So now turning around after Chicago, you'll end up running the Big Sur Half Marathon, but you'll do it as a workout. You're just getting back into workouts now. And the way that your workout kind of lined up with the race, where you were going out there anyways as a vacation to watch Noah, Becky, and Mara compete. So now you'll have the opportunity to kind of be in that same event with them, even though your focus on the day is what your workout entails. And then what's what's the big race coming up after that? Uh, my big focal point right now is the Houston Half Marathon, and that's in mid-January. And I'm really excited about that because both times that I've run it, I've PR'd there. Um, on marathon buildups. On, ma- on marathon buildups, this will be my... F- I think it'll really be my first time running a half marathon without it being in the middle of a marathon buildup. So I feel like there might be, I think it's, it's just going to be an exciting couple months leading up to that because I've never been able just to focus on the half. And so again, again, going back to looking for those fast times, but yeah, I'm going to Houston to look to run fast. It's a great course to do that. And they really do such an incredible job. Again, that race organization is that race organization goes above and beyond. Now, we've added a few new people this fall, both on the guy side and the, the woman's side. What has that transition been like? We were joking out at Chicago. We looked a year ago. We've only had three people in the group. It was you, me, and Mara. And now we're pushing close to 13, 14 athletes. You've obviously been there from the start because this is a project you and I both started together. What has it been like? both in terms of your own performance and then seeing the transition the group has taken. I think being a part of a group, if you can find a good one, a good fit is it just makes you hold yourself accountable for, for more than just yourself. You're holding yourself accountable for your teammates and even, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you are comparative within the group. Like you want to bring something to the table each day and hopefully that's positivity across the board and encouragement. Um, you know, and hopefully you're there to lift people up when, when it's been a rough day. And so I think that having just having such a great group of people, I'm really proud of the group of people that we have, that we have formed together. I'm astonished by how quickly it's grown. It's just, it's been a positive experience overall. And I think when collectively you see your teammates performing well, it raises your level of expectation of what you feel like you need to do to kind of hold that same standard. Totally. You want to hold up your end of the deal. And I, I talk to, I talk to you a lot about it's, it's the same when you go into like a really decorated college program, you know, you're coming out and you know that you're, you're joining this, you're joining this group that prides themselves on excellence. And so you step up to the plate and that's the type of culture that we're trying to, that we're trying to build here that I think we are building. And um, you know, trying to take it even further. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing what you can do this, this winter. I, um, 
Nice job at Chicago. Thank and you. And good luck at Big Sur. Hey guys, I'm sitting here with Becky Wade, and we are two weeks before the Big Sur Half Marathon, about two weeks after she raced the U.S. 10K Championships, which was at Tufts. That's a women's only U.S. Championship, and you were fourth place. How do you feel about the day? I was pretty happy with it. Um, it's always a little bit unnerving going into a race, you know, at the beginning of a cycle and we've had a big transition moving up here, um, late summer. And so, um, I think fourth place was pretty good for the day. It wasn't super fast or anything. Um, there's some wind and I'm also not, you know, I wasn't in like peak fitness of all time, but I thought it was a good effort and a really good start to the fall season. And like you said, you guys have had a transition. Spring kind of finished on a weird note with the way trials kind of shook out. Um, you had a little bit of controversy with USATF. And then you had your book tour because your your book was being released at the beginning of summer. And so you were doing a lot of book signings. And then you guys moved. And so you were coming up here to Boulder to Altitude. How was, I mean, you can tell it in your own words, but summer was kind of a whirlwind before mm -hmm. starting this last buildup. So kind of how was that adjustment through all of that and then uh, transitioning up here to Boulder? Yeah, summer was a little bit crazy. Like you said, we had the trials and a ton of racing and traveling before that. And then the book was released um, right after I, the day after I finished racing. And then I flew home to Texas and did a little book tour on Texas. And I think amidst all of that, we decided, you know, this is a really good time to like be deliberate about, about where we want to be. Will had graduated from Rice and, um, you know, the Olympic cycle was coming to an end. And so I think it was just a really great time to take a leap. And we had been feeling for a while like Boulder was the right place. And so we moved here August 1st, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it the transition was actually great. Um, the timing was really nice that we, you know, we were getting out of Texas and one of the most miserable months. So coming up here and having some of the most beautiful weather that we'll get was perfect. And then having instantly a team and people to work out with and, um, a friend group waiting for us basically was awesome. Um, so I think it was about as good as any transition like that could possibly be. Now, after, after the way track kind of finished and the transition up here to altitude, um, did you're, you're still obviously being coached by your college coach, Jim, did he write in kind of how that transition would look from trials to transition up to altitude or was it decompress, get adjusted once you get settled in up to Boulder and then we can start talking about how the way fall would shake out? Mm -hmm. It was definitely just decompress. I was feeling pretty mentally exhausted more than anything after the track season. And, I really. And for those listening at home, when we keep talking about the, the way track shook out, Becky had qualified at a meet, but USATF officials did not put out the rail. So on paper, they wouldn't count the meet based the, on appeal. But they only let. Well, they didn't let, yeah. I only found out about that a few days before yeah, which, the trial. So, which is just crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it was just kind of a mess. Um, and but was, you got in. Yeah, got in. Didn't didn't race well. So that was an unfortunate note to end the track season on. But after that, we just kind of decided, like, I need a little breather from the racing scene, and I need to just enjoy running again, not have all this pressure on me, and... So when I came up here, I was just kind of doing easy miles. Really my first like three to four weeks, we did volume and not a whole lot of intensity other yeah, than kind like, of effort-based stuff. Yeah, yeah. effort-based stuff, um, a little bit of speed and kind of started building back into quality stuff with long runs. Um, so it was a pretty slow, gradual transition, but I feel like kind of around maybe the six week mark, five or six week mark, I felt ready to do like actual workouts and kind of start back into a structured environment. And so yeah. And that puts you, what, about three weeks before Tufts yeah. with like your first like specific workouts and even specifics, yeah. uh, a loaded term because it's, it's your, your fall, 
like you have races sprinkled in, but there's not like one race you're kind of gearing up for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, going back to the way Tufts kind of went out, um, how are the first couple miles? Like you, did you find yourself in a pack? Did it string out right away? Emily Sisson took it out really quick. Mm-hmm. She took it out really hard and I didn't go with her. Um, we had talked about like of everyone in the field, we were pretty confident that she was just going to hammer from the start. Yeah. She'd been racing pretty well already this fall. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she took it out. One or two women went with her and I found myself, I guess, in the chase pack. There were maybe six of us or something for the first couple miles. And first mile was a little bit quick, but like we talked about, like it should be a little bit uncomfortable the whole time and having come down from altitude. Um, I was hoping that I would settle into a rhythm, which I did, I think around like a mile and a half or two miles. So um, I think I was in about ninth at the mile and either stayed there or moved up throughout the whole race, um, eventually finishing fifth overall, but fourth among Americans. And I had a a couple people to work with. I was running a lot of it with Kim Smith, which was really nice Um, and pretty cool for me. I know she wasn't delighted about that race, but I thought it was fun. And, um, but an Olympian's an Olympian. Yeah, so that's right. You a race an Olympian, it's <laughs> yeah. A good day. Um, what you had trained at altitude before when you had been training up in Mammoth, was this the first time you had come down out of altitude to actually race? So I actually raced right after I flew from Mammoth to race the New Haven 20K champs, but I actually sustained an injury in my last workout at Mammoth. And so that was a couple days later. I wasn't able to run. Um, and it was like, it was just something kind of a stupid mistake on my part. I was making really sharp 180 degree turns and that kind of knocked me out for the fall. Um, oh, we know that story. I mean, that's kind of the story of how Leah's ankle ended up the way it did going into marathon. Trials. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did race that. Um, but it was impossible for me to actually like experience the race. Cause I was so worried about that. So this was my first time actually coming from altitude to sea level to take a shot at it. Which I think when you're looking at, I mean, finishing fourth in a U.S. championship and it's your first race of the fall season, coming to, down from altitude after all the transition you had from summer when a lot of people are still kind of finding that struggle to recover from Olympic trials and the Olympic cycle in general, pretty impressive performance on the day. Um and set you up for some good things this fall with Big Sur Half Marathon coming up in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a cool weekend because we had quite, I guess you've already talked to them, but quite a few people from the team performed really well. And I was the last of everyone to race. So it was nice to feel like part of something, you know, which I hadn't really felt like since college, um, just something to like contribute to. And I want to add to this. So talk about that for a second. Like you said, it's the first time you've been a part of a team since college. When you're seeing the performances that they had the day before, Aaliyah was 10th at Chicago, Noah was 2nd at the 10-mile champs, and Mara was 5th at the 10-mile champs. So the track record up to that point had been pretty good. Does the level of expectation, knowing that you've been working out with people like Aaliyah and like Mara and seeing what they've been able to perform, does that give you an extra level of confidence? Does that put extra level of pressure? How did that make you feel going in? Yeah, well, on the one hand, it's it just makes me excited because I think, like, you know, clearly there's a lot of momentum that's going on, and it's it's exciting just to be part of something that's, like, growing and building. Um, on the other hand, like, yeah, seeing the girls that I do workouts with and meet up with three or four times a week and log two-hour runs with, seeing them perform well on the national level or international level, like the world majors. Um, it's a, it's, it's something that is hard to, I don't get that when I'm training by myself. I know where I'm at and I know how my workouts are going, but it's really nice to have like other people to add to that and, um, to have, like I said earlier, something beyond myself to contribute to. And the hope is obviously in the future that you and Aaliyah or you and Mara can kind of match up on specific cycles. So, the predominant amount of your guys' workouts will be will be done together. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you guys are all kind of on different stuff right now. 
but it was, it, it, it's been kind of cool to see that like little bit of taste of teamwork, even though everyone's kind of on different trajectories going into the spring. Cause like, or going into this fall. Cause like Aaliyah was going up to Chicago when you guys were just moving out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really nice. I feel like for at least half of my workouts, I have someone to run with and, um, if not, like you're out there and you have a good gauge on what I'm doing in relation to what I'm trying to do. Um, and then it's also exciting. Ali and I have already been kind of scheming out what, yeah. what marathon buildups we could do together, what post-race vacations we could take. So I think there's a lot of good things to come. Well, and I think one of the big things that I'm sure you saw independently of what Aliyah saw, but we saw the success of what Shalane Flanagan and Amy Hastings were able to create in LA together and just having that camaraderie, that teammate by your side to be able to push together. There is a certain comfort level that comes in a race, knowing you can run with that other person, but also that person's there trying to support you and help you to get to whatever goal you're trying to do just as much as they are. Mm-hmm. The way I see it, which is kind of odd, but it, it it's almost like the feeling of, showing up to a new school and you have your twin sister there. So like you have a built-in advantage that just comes from like doing the work, showing up together, being prepared and, you know, being able to count on each other when things are rough, which inevitably happen in a marathon. So that'll be really, really cool to experience. I think that was one of the, I mean, the, the coolest picture from trials was obviously the two of them running side by side and you can't, tell that there's the second person on the other side because their stride is matching up so mm-hmm. so synchronous. But the other thing was at water stops, when one would grab, they would each grab their bottles, someone else would grab the towels, someone else would grab the water bottle, and then they're kind of passing it off to each other. So in the lead pack where there's four women, two that aren't teammates, two that are teammates, and you see that, that kind of teamwork going hand in hand, it can be a little intimidating as a competitor <laughs> yeah. to see that. Yeah, it's hard to compete with that. Now, going into Big Sur, um, you and Mara will both be in there. You guys have done a good amount of workouts together this fall. The hope is, obviously, that you guys can kind of push together and be able to run for you close to a PR. For her, it'll be her debut, so to to, to set a good mark as her first one. Um, have you researched much of the course? Do you know much about it? I know it's really pretty. Um, I haven't researched much of the course yet, but... I know that they've put together a really good field this year, and um, I think that's always good. You know, competition makes us rise to the occasion. And, and so, particularly on the U.S. women's side. Too. Yeah, It's almost yeah. like a U.S. championship. Totally, yeah. It's it's a really good field. So um, I'm just excited. It'll be a nice, you know, next benchmark. I thought the 10K was, like, a first good, first good assessment of where things are going. Now we will have had a month extra of workouts, and – Still, I'm not going to be peaking, which is, you know, that's understandable. But um, it'll just be cool to see how things are going at this point. And the course is relatively fast. So assuming that there's a good group of women to, to kind of help push the pace. I mean, they have the nice thing is this year, too, they have the equalizer incentive, which hopefully that entices some people to be able to push up front. Mm-hmm. It could be some pretty fast times on a course that's trying to build the reputation as a fast half marathon. So. Like you said, beautiful location, but good opportunity to run pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, I want to. I want to be up in the mix. That's the goal. Well, nice job again at Tufts 10K. Outstanding start to the fall. Thanks. Top ten, top five at the U.S. Championship. I mean, all three of our athletes at U.S. <laughs> Championships were top five, which is saying something. Pretty and so, good. hopefully, we can follow that up with something nice and big, sir. I think that's the goal. All right. All right. Good thank, luck. Thank you.